0: This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dawn, we have merchandise. Yes, we do. How do people find our merchandise? They need to go onto our website at FermentedAdventure.com and click on the apparel tab. So go to FermentedAdventure.com and click on the apparel tab and what will they find? They will find our Fermented Adventure, the podcast shirt, may contain alcohol, and we have a couple specials that we just did. Uh, Cerveza made me do it, and Tequila made me do it. Now, this is perfect for spring break, Cinco de Mayo, or even the summer, and you'll look really cool, and you'll be able to say, hey, it wasn't me, it was Tequila or Cerveza that made me do it. Yes, that's true. We have different things. We have shirts, we have glasses. What are some of the other things we have in there? Women's stuff, men's stuff, tank tops. Tanks, tees, sweatshirts, pullover hoodies, you name it. You name it, we have it, and more to come, right? More to come. For mintedadventure.com, click on the apparel tab, buy the merchandise. Cheers! You can find us at FermentedAdventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at FermentedAdventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Owen King. I'm Rich Shane. Don Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Owen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We are at Ironclad Distillery. We were here three years ago, and this is one of those distilleries where I said... I kick myself today for trying your amazing spirits, but we didn't go home with anything, and I have no idea why. But we're going to change that today. Weren't ironclad distilling. How did all this get started? So my dad bought
1: the building we are currently in uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, it was a dry goods warehouse, warehouse built in 1913. Um, and so he had another business operating out of here. And as busy as his other business ever was, he was never utilizing all 30,000 square feet of this building. Um, so my, he and I were working together. So, uh, you know, every day we would talk about how we can best utilize this space. And the one thing we kept coming back to was that bourbon barrels would take up a lot of space. And we could also, you know, store them wherever we needed. And over time, they would eventually make us
0: money. Um, and so one so day it really started with bourbon barrels. Yeah. Not distilling.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was the whole thing. It was, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, we'll, just, we'll store bourbon barrels. But, uh, we bought it. So one day I walked into work and he's like, Hey, by the way, I bought a still. And I was like, okay, great. We're bootleggers now. <laughs> um, so, you know, we didn't want to necessarily go to jail. Um, So we went through, got all our licenses and permits and everything to become a functioning distillery. So we started with one little 26-gallon still, thinking that would be enough to make us market viable. You know, make friends for friends and family and just make enough for the state of Virginia. Didn't really have, like, ideas of, you know, going national or anything like that. We just wanted to kind of stay small. Uh, When we fired up that still, we quickly learned that one 26-gallon still makes about two gallons of bourbon a day. Uh,
0: So to fill a 53-gallon barrel took us a month. That would never be market viable. I can only imagine the conversations <laughs> you and your dad, Stephen, are having. Like, this is going to take a while.
1: Yeah, so we kind of didn't know exactly what we were getting ourselves into. Um, and we we knew I, I was always against kind of sourcing. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just I always thought it'd be kind of cool to only use Virginia grain and only sell whatever we make. Uh, and then we also didn't ever want to make anything besides bourbon, although we do have affinity for, you know, vodka and, and some rums and stuff like that. So we were like, oh, you know, let's just focus on one thing and make bourbon. You know, we're running with this one little 26 gallon still, trying to just get the hang of it, learning how to, use, learning how to distill, which was kind of a good thing, at least having some knowledge about how to, how to make this thing work. And, uh, one day we're like, all right, you know, if we're going to get serious about this, we need to get a bigger still. So we bought five more stills now, just like that 26 gallon still. So now we had a, essentially 125 gallon still thinking, okay, yeah, now we've got it. Now we we're making 12 and a half gallons a day, uh, still. Not even close to market viable. I mean, that's, that's, you know, some smaller distilleries what they throw away from the heads. Um, so now we're... Uh, but now, you know, we could fill a 53-gallon barrel in a week. So, okay, great. We're, we're getting bigger. Uh, so now we're running this, and we go and talk to this other... We, we were talking to this other distillery out in western out in the western part of the state um, where they were uh, they were kind of like the, the pilot house for this uh, company called Affordable Distilling Equipment. Um, they're in that this, that company's out of uh, Missouri, and so we went to go talk to them about how the best way to um you know what what they think about these stills and how they work and you know the stuff that's coming off them how does it taste, um, and so we went out there and we tried it and we distilled with them for a couple of days and the the guy said one thing uh, that was really kind of the point where it was a turning point for us where he said you cannot make money in the in the distilling world with anything less than 250 gallon still and so we're like okay well you know we need to go back and we need to buy 250 gallon still and so then we're looking at the prices of a 250 gallon still and uh we my dad and i had this kind of same thought was no one's ever going to want a smaller still so let's go with the biggest we can possibly get so we bought a 500 gallon still that was about three years ago um And now we're doing a 53 gallon barrel a day, which is you know from where we started to where we are now a substantially greater uh, thing for us uh, because we're actually you know that's about 53 gallon barrel a day is still small you know that's what Jack Daniels Jim Beam are spilling in a day but um, you know it gives us kind of our our the keys to our own destiny where we can kind of build or you know scale up the way we want to scale up and and control
0: our own fate. Um, and that's why we kind of like where we're at. Talk about those origin years or that beginning inception. How did you settle in on a mash bill? I know you have a number of them, and you're doing a lot of different things. What was the original you know, idea for where you want to be. You said local or sourcing from Virginia grains. Yeah. Did that kind of dictate your mash bill or how did that work so for you? So
1: the one thing so when I was in college, I uh I took this one course which was fortuitous that uh it was a chemistry class and during the chemistry class we got to pick for a certain part of the semester Um, what we wanted to learn about. And the whole class decided they wanted to learn about brewing slash distilling. Um, So that was the only kind of knowledge I had of distilling before we got into this. And I didn't, want during the class, I never thought I'd use it. I just thought it would be kind of cool to know how to do those things. Um, And so when we were starting out, uh, we reached out to the ag department in in Richmond. um, And I wanted to find a farmer that could grow every single grain for us. Um and so we found one. Uh the 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 farmer, uh he's 45 minutes north here in Charles City. His name's Dave Hula. Um he's fantastic, he does everything we need him to do. Um and so I you know went out went out there, met him and said, I want to use only Virginia grains in my bourbon, because I want to make sure that when we're making this, that we're really showing off Virginia agriculture, because you know distilling really all dates back to using what you had. Um, To make alcohol And so that was kind of what I wanted to make sure We were continuing on Um, And I didn't think, you know, sourcing anything from I mean, although, you know, I went to college In Lancaster, Pennsylvania I was like, oh my gosh, you know, how cool would it be To bring down some corn from there Um, Because, you know, obviously Pennsylvania has fantastic corn, but I was like, all right, you know, I'll stick to my guns and I'm going to only use Virginia grain. So that was the kind of idea that I wanted to stick with. And so when I was picking a mash bill, I wanted to make sure I had the broadest scale of grains. So I wanted a four grain mash bill. Um, And there was a formula that we knew worked. Um, for how how many what percentage of each grain worked and had a had the best flavor? Uh, also showing you know showcasing each grain in that uh, in that uh, in the spirit. Um, so that's the reason we went with a four grain mash bill, which is seventy percent corn, ten percent wheat, ten percent rye, ten percent malted barley, um, to make sure you got the spiciness of the rye, you got the sweetness of the corn and the wheat, uh, and then you got that little you know ba- uh, the balancing of malt in there to uh, make sure it just comes it comes together
0: as a spirit. Now, you talked about you and dad said we have this huge warehouse of a space. Were you bourbon drinkers at the time? Did you? I mean, you said this would be a great place to store barrels. And what year are we talking about at this point?
1: So this would have been late 2013 was when all this started. Um, And then 2014 is when we got our permit to actually distill. Um, Yeah, we were big bourbon drinkers. So, you know, we we used to always joke that uh, on Christmas, our uh, the, the bottom of our Christmas tree looked like a bottle exchange or a liquor store more like it Because we were all just find, trying to find the most rare bottles to give to each other And so we all really love bourbon um, We always joke that <clears throat> You know my one of my memories of my grandmother uh, Which is my dad's mom uh, Was sitting there on Christmas morning and she'd be sitting there with old crow on the rocks with a, with a splash of water And like that she'd just have that all day and so she, we always joke that uh, that was, uh, where we got our bourbon gene from. We believe everyone has a bourbon gene in them. Um, and so our bourbon gene was passed down to, to through her. And then, uh, and then we all began it like, you know, when you turn 21, you start drinking bourbon and then you kind of, you, you start, you know, bourbon on the ro- or bourbon and Coke. And then you kind of wean off the Coke and then you go bourbon on the rocks and then you wean off the rocks and then you, uh, then you just go bourbon neat. You just really wean off the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then then just, yeah, eventually get rid of the glass straight out of the bottle. You're good to go. Um, So yeah, so uh, we were always big bourbon drinkers. I mean, most of the conversations my dad and I were having talking about storing barrels was while we were sitting there sipping bourbon. Um, And that was kind of where that idea came from.
0: I think it's so fun. And this is one of the things for Dawn and I that resonated so much. You being a family distillery. And really, everybody, you enjoy working together. You enjoy the experience together. Is that something that just... It was like, wow, this is actually. You, you knew that was going to work, or did, was it kind of like? Because I, I, I see it with you and Kara and your dad, and you guys love. You guys love each other. You go, you love being here together.
1: Well, the the nice thing about working with your family is that uh, no matter what, you know, if you if you piss one of the other ones off, they're still obligated to love you. Um, so, you know, working with your family is easy because at least, you know, you I, have spent 34 years with my sister. Uh, I spent 34 years with my dad. So they, we all know how each other tick and, uh, how to work with each other. And so we're very lucky in that sense that, you know, we don't have to worry about other people or, you know, dealing with personalities we don't necessarily know, uh, cause we all get along very well. So. Well, yeah, with the
0: expansion helpful. of the distillery, though, I mean, you've got this beautiful tasting room you are just talking about. We took, we took a little tour of the third floor, which is now barrel storage. And I'm thinking the whole time we're going around there, this is an amazing rickhouse. You've got the winds and the moisture. You're right on the, the bay here. James R- River. James River. Yep. Okay. You've got the heat on the, you know, the, the change in temperature? I mean, talk about that. Was that just a fortuitous thing? Because you know you love bourbon, you have a knowledge of it, but did you have essentially the understanding of what this was going to be for creating bourbon?
1: No, not at all. Uh, th- this is definitely a... This building was never built to be a distillery, but it turned out to be a perfect place to have a distillery. Um, so... When we started storing barrels here, uh, and we were tasting them along the way, we noticed that there was kind of this little salt, kind of salt, slightly salty brininess to them that was kind of coming through as like a salted caramel flavor. And uh, I was thinking, you know, it's, that's got to be coming from the James River, which is a brackish water river, at least where where it is down here. Um, and uh, and of course, the Virginia humidity and, and heat that we get for you know, eight months, uh, nine months a year. Uh, is really beneficial as well. So uh, it, it was it was not planned that this building turned out to be a good place to store barrels, um, but it worked out very well that it is.
0: Well, I'm curious now because you're starting to lay down all these barrels that are on the third floor, and that's, they've only been up there a short time. Yeah, you were laying down. You had the barrel room here on the first floor. Just just the change in temperatures and how these barrels that, – that'll be – are you seeing that already?
1: So I'm actually running an experiment right now. So I have two sister barrels, uh, both filled on the same day, both from the same cooperage. Um, there's one on the first floor, one on the third floor. And so next year, they both turn four. Um, so that's going to be the test. I'm going to crack them open the same day, uh, and we're going to taste them to see how big of a difference the, 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 the areas are. Because the first floor – Throughout the winter, it never drops below 55 degrees, which anything below 50 degrees, there's not really necessarily anything bad happening in the barrel, but there's nothing good happening either. Now, on the third floor, uh, during, the, during the winters, it will definitely drop below 50 degrees. And for a couple days, it, w- it will. Um, and for the most part, uh, you know, it'll get back up there, but we will have days where there's nothing happening in the barrel. So, although it gets substantially hotter in the summer. So, it's kind of going to be interesting to see if those... Days below fifty degrees make are, are made up for with the days where it goes above a hundred, or uh, or the days you know it's just con- it's ab- constantly above fifty five degrees. So uh, I'm really excited to see how that
0: uh, how that experiment works out uh, between those two barrels. Because um, and you're gonna have corners and airflow. I mean, you can open up the windows, close yeah. the windows. This it's it's so technical that I almost feel like everything was supposed to work out in this building the way it does it's like, yeah it's like the, the confluence that serendipity of this was I, always schooling bourbon
1: i was at whiskey. Bart, i was at bartstown bourbon company a couple years ago and i asked them like i, I was have you guys found a sweet spot uh for the barrels and they go yeah those windows right there in that rickhouse every one of those barrels is going to be fantastic and so i was like oh well actually i have all all the barrels i have in the front corner those are windows and i was like oh wait some of the barrels I pulled from there have been fantastic. I was like, that actually makes more sense. So, yeah, the, the windows up there are making kind of a sweet spot up there uh, for the barrels. And I, on some of the stuff I just laid down a couple years ago, I made sure I was like, I'm going to put these right here so that they can be ready in, uh, you know, four plus years that they're going to be sitting in direct sunlight the entire time, which is only going to increase the heat and, and, uh, and make the bourbon that much better.
0: Hey, so I'm geeking out on this stuff because I'm thinking to myself... You're, you're almost saying I can now dictate and control different barrel releases, different flavor profiles, just different ideas that you want to have by where you're now getting a chance to store those barrels.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of the plan is to just try to figure out where the best place for the barrels are and then continue to do that. So uh, hopefully by the end of this year, we're actually doubling production and we will remove all the barrels from the first floor going to the second and third floor. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how much of a difference that will make uh, of, of, of all the 15s that we do, which usually only go 14 to 16 months. And most of them are on the first floor. will now go their 14 to 16 months all up on the third floor, uh, which will be interesting to see how much of a difference
0: that makes for them. I know you said in the beginning you were you know, working through a month to fill up a 53-gallon barrel. Where did the 15-gallon barrels come in? Was that something you always thought of or did you say, wow, we need to start figuring out a way to get this out in the market quicker? So
1: the distillery we were modeled after is Kings County uh, Distillery in, in uh, Brooklyn. Um, and so we, when we first started, um, we went up there because they started with the, the little 26-gallon hillbilly stills as well. Um, so we went up there to just see how they were operating. And th- by this point, we went up, when we went up there, they had uh, gotten rid of all their fifteen gallon, or 26-gallon stills, and they had moved to two Vendôme, uh, I think they were 250-gallon pot stills. Um, and so they kind of started with only doing 5s and 10s, um, and then eventually transitioned to only 53s. Uh, so our idea was, you know, 15s would be the best way of getting a quality bourbon out the quickest, um, and, and, and kind of like them, we were only ever going to do bourbon. I mean, they do bourbon and rye, but they were only, they only do whiskey. Um, so we were kind of following those same footsteps that we only ever wanted to make bourbon. Um, so, uh, we kind of were figuring out how they were operating and following in their footsteps. And so doing 15s is a great way of getting out a quality product the quickest, um, but eventually, we will have to, we will kind of transfer into only 53s. But that's quite a year's away because we still have so many producers that. Uh, so, we do a lot of finished bourbons. Um, and a lot of our producers that do the finishes with, that we do the finishes with, um, are very small. So, like our hot honey guy could never fill a 53 gallon barrel of honey, uh, of hot honey. So, we have to continue doing those 15s to make sure that we can continue to have. Uh, barrels for our guys that we do that we do our finishes with, um, so that we make it easier on them, uh, because you know our hot honey is one of our you know crowd favorites.
0: All right, you said uh, that three times. What is hot honey?
1: <laughs> so we have a habanero infused honey uh, that is aged in our used bourbon barrels. Uh, so then they take that habanero infused honey out of the barrels, and we put our bourbon back in. Um, so now we're picking up all those honey flavors, and then also picking up some of that capsaicin and then habanero flavor. Uh, to make a habanero-infused
0: honey-finished bourbon. See, oh, and this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you, because if you're not following Ironclad on social media, if you've never heard of them, and I have to tell you, you're doing an okay job of getting your name out here, (laughs) but there are a lot of people who still don't know who you are. And when you find out what's going on here in this little part of Virginia, this is a destination you're going to want to come to. But you're going to be, like, I'm just curious as to what the impressions that you've gotten for you and your family to the the feedback the people when they when they come here and they try your bourbon because it's almost the the whiskey's and the bourbon it's they almost have to kind of wipe their eyes and say where are we <laughs> you know we're not in Tennessee we're not in Kentucky you know we're not in Indiana where are we so with with all that being said and, and long winded and stuff like that, what is that imp- you know? What's that feedback? What's that impression? What, what are those aha moments that you and your family have gotten that you, you kind of said, "Wow, holy cow, we're on to something"?
1: Uh, I mean, I think for the most part, we I, I mean, we try our best to. I, I, I'm I really love bourbon, and I want to make sure that when you try our bourbon, uh, that you love it as much as I do because I, I I want. I mean, I, I think bourbon makes everyone happier, has a good time. Um, and you know, everyone loves a good bourbon cocktail. And, um, so my idea is to just hopefully that when people try our bourbon, they taste, you know, the love I have for it and to try and when we get to do different things and different releases and different finishes that, uh, we can kind of find something for even the person who's not a bourbon lover out there. Um, so that's the kind of idea I have behind it. But as far as the grander scheme of things, uh, you know, the first drop of corn liquor uh, distilled in the United States was in Jamestown oh sorry Berkeley plantation uh, just north of Charles City in uh, here in Virginia um, that was by uh, George Thorpe right Thorpe yeah there's Kara she made it on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> so that was by George 1620. Seven, it's in 1620 so that was by George Thorpe so. Uh, And then, you know, the godfather of bourbon, Elijah Craig, uh, he was born in Fairfax County, Virginia. Uh, And so, you know, the first distillation, his first distillation in Kentucky was 1783. um, And then Kentucky was a state until 1792. So all those things happened uh, when Kentucky was still Virginia. So I always like to tell them the birthplace of bourbon is right here in Virginia because it is. So... That's, you know, although Virginia is not known as this Bourbon state, but
0: it was born here. Bourbon's older brother is Virginia. Yeah. But it didn't become Bourbon until it made it to Kentucky, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I See, this is one of the things, talking to you and just your wealth of knowledge, but you understand and respect the history. How did the name Ironclad come in? So... We were trying to figure out a name for the distillery because that we of course that's a very important part
1: of your distillery, um, and so we came up with a couple of different ideas. There, there, there was an original spelling of Newport News. Um, we were trying to make sure we were tying in the history of, of where we were at, and uh, we actually were up at the Mariners Museum, uh, which has the, mon- the has the turret of the Monitor, which was the original ironclad ship. Um, and we were talking to someone about telling, you know, telling them we were going to open a distillery down here. And they said, well, you know, that that had that building been there in 1862, they would have a front row seat to watch the battle take place. And so then we're like, oh, we could actually call ourselves ironclad. Like that's, I mean, that's that one, you get the history of the area. Uh, and then on top of that, we are a very naval town. So you get that as well. Um, and so, it also just sounds really cool. Ironclad. So, um, that was kind of the reason where we came up with the name Ironclad, because I had this building been here in 1862. We would have front row seat to watch the battle take place between the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia. So you get a little history with your whiskey.
0: I love, But you do. You, you understand why Virginia is so impactful to our American style whiskey, where it becomes bourbon. And you start here. You, you take that brief beginning of the journey. And you see what you're putting down into your barrels, into your bottles, and you really get a sense of the impact you're making on that whiskey history from your heritage and your lineage going back to the 1600s, right? Yeah. But I still don't want to lose sight of the fact that you guys had to start with these 26-gallon stills, right? But you had to get some feedback just beyond, we want to make good bourbon for ourselves. Where was it that you guys said you were on the right track? What was some of that so, feedback?
1: You know, this is this goes back to kind this is a, this is this story has two parts that was very beneficial to us. Uh, the first part was when we went to go to Kings County in Brooklyn. Uh, Colin Spelman was there who started Kings County, um, and he tried our bourbon, and you know, it was it was very young, and um, and I mean, it was it was our mash, it was our, our mash what we're still using this day, but it was you know, not to the, not to the, where it was at now. Um, and he tried it and said, this is very good. And I mean, it, and it didn't see, it didn't seem like just like a kind of pat on the back, you know, go on your merry way. Um, it seemed like it was a genuine, like, this is very good. You guys are onto something. So like, all right, great. This guy's already successful with the distillery. He likes our bourbon. But at the same point, uh, when he said that my sister was there cause she was living in New York at the time. And that was the point where she's like, I'm hopping on the I'm hopping on board with this, and I'm going to move down to Virginia, and I'm going to come work with the, you guys at the distillery. So it was beneficial for those two reasons: we got her, who's the marketing genius behind everything with Ironclad, uh, and then also getting getting a stamp of approval from a distiller who knows what he's talking about to uh,
0: give us positive uh, reinforcement to saying say, continue on with what you're doing. Picture the day, or bring back the day that you open to the public. <laughs> What was for you and realizing how far you had come, all the barrels you laid down, what was like that for you guys? So
1: we we originally shipped up our bourbon to the ABC stores first because in Virginia we have ABC system, uh, alcohol control state. Um, so my sister and I, never doing this before, we drove up, I think it was 70 cases of bourbon to uh, Virginia ABC Warehouse in Richmond. And, uh, when we, when they came to pick it up with a forklift out of the back of the truck, uh, we were both getting misty eyed thinking like, this is like dropping your kids off at college. Like go off into the world and don't screw this up. (laughs) Um, and so like, you know, they, they unload it, they take it off into the warehouse and we, we like, okay. Uh, and not really knowing exactly when I was going to make it out to stores. And then, uh, fast forward, maybe four weeks. Uh, and we get a text from someone saying, hey, Ironclad's in the, in the ABC uh, store. And we're like, okay, great. So we, we go up there and I see it sitting on the shelf and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And very luckily we had uh, immediate success uh, of people buying it. Um, and so that was like immediately then we had to like, okay, now we need more bourbon to get to uh, to empty out barrels to go refill the next one. Okay, we got to go back to work now. Um, so like that was really good in the fact that we, I mean, we were very lucky that we already had a social media presence, that people were really excited to try Ironclad when we first released it. Uh, and then we were just running in ABC stores for two years, a year and a half, before we opened up our tasting room here. Um, and when we opened up the tasting room here, uh, we had a, we had a um, soft opening where it was just friends and family and, and, and some investors uh, and then we had two weeks later, our grand opening and, uh, you know, when we had our grand opening, it was still to this day, one of the best days we've ever had as, as far as sales go. Um, and that was a really beneficial, um, I mean like that, that makes you feel good when a lot of these people come out and are willing to wait in line and, um, and are willing to, and, and give a lot of good feedback to saying they're really enjoying everything. So, uh, yeah, th- those are the,
0: the, the nice things I uh, you know, positive reinforcement, Let's do this. Let's taste some whiskey. Okay. Taste some of your bourbon. Cool. And we'll talk about the characteristics that you and dad and your sister, really, if you're going to drink bourbon for yourselves, this is what you want to drink. Let's talk about that. Cool. Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog,
1: bones. Brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer, green dog
0: bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskets are all natural and made in the USA. Visit Brewsket.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-D.com. We are back, and we have these gorgeous-looking glasses in front of us. Not just, you know, the thought process of why this stemware and not Glenn Karen's.
1: So pretty much if you went to any distillery and you're doing tastings out of a barrel, more often than not, you're going to have this tulip-shaped glass, um, which is better for nosing uh, and also better for tasting. Um, I'm not a huge Karen guy. Um, I think the glass itself is a little too heavy and wobbly. Um, I actually like these a little bit better as for tasting glasses. To be honest, uh, you know, there's this bar in uh, Chicago called Delilah's and when they serve your worst, which is one of the greatest whiskey bars in the world uh and when they serve your glass it's you know in a tiny little uh it's almost like a collins glass but it's you know shorter and it's you know the best drink <laughs> the best glass to drink out of uh it might not be clean because it's super dark but it doesn't matter because you're, you're in delilah's and they're blasting punk rock and it's fantastic uh anyway that's a quick aside but uh <laughs> for the most part if i'm drinking at home i would not ever drink out of a Glencairn glass. Um, I would actually prefer drinking out of like a rocks glass or something tulip like this.
0: Something larger or something you could nose better, Mm -hmm. really. And that's the thought process. And this is like talking to bourbon people, talking to whiskey people. You get such a different perspective. This is yours, but this is what you enjoy and how you enjoy the experience. Yeah. And that was the first time I remember when we had started our journey that we were drinking out of glasses like this. And it was so even more interesting to the experience that we had here. So that was cool. Now you've lined up. We've got five expressions here. Yeah. Where should we start? What do you want to talk about first? So we're going to start with the glass
1: closest to you guys. Um, this is our Monitor Blend bourbon. So our Monitor Blend, we call it that, named after the uh, after the USS Monitor, first ever ironclad ship. Um, but also, we found this advertisement from the 1870s uh, where there was a rye whiskey made in upstate New York called the Monitor Blend Rye Whiskey. Um. And we, for the label on this bourbon, uh, we recreated, uh, that old advertisement, uh, showing, uh, the, you know, the monitor in the battle and everything like that. Um, and so this bourbon came from, I was at, again, Bardstown Bourbon Company and they, this is when they were first starting up and they are a very open book there. If you guys, if anyone ever gets to get a tour there and, they were giving us samples of their white dog their different mash bills uh, and the one mash bill they try they tried us on was a very high weeded uh uh white dog and i loved it it was the best white dog i've ever had so i took a picture of the recipe um of the percentages of everything i came back home uh and i said i'm recreating this one and so i came back and i recreated that exact mash bill uh to make here
0: So, share the mash bill or at least. So, this one is
1: 55% corn, 35% wheat, 10% malted barley. Uh, So, this one is kind of like our bar friendly bourbon um, because it's really good, neater on the rocks, also stands up really well in a cocktail. Um, But it's also 86 proof. So, it's more of a. Um, daily drinker, uh, and definitely one that you could just put out there. Um, it's a little cheaper so that you can kind of use it for anything and not have to really worry about, uh, breaking the bank, um, for
0: a more expensive bottle. It's interesting that you characterize that because this is almost like, Hey, this is a daily drinker and maybe at a price point, but quality wise, this is something that I think a lot of people would be really happy that this is like you gave this to me for my birthday. I got this for our anniversary. My, my son was born. I'm going to put this bottle away. That's the quality. This is the first time we've had your spirits in three years. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This is why we thought you guys were awesome. <laughs> and it was only one taste. But the nose on this, I get a lot of that. The, the stone fruit. I get cherry. I get plum. you know, And I get the grain on there as well, mm-hmm. which I really – it's almost like a, um, a moist grain to, to the nose, but the the, the nose is almost exactly the, the the profile, the flavor, and the taste, and the palate. They're yeah. very consistent. Now, is that again? Is that your personality? Is that Dad's personality for whiskey and what you're looking to do? So, I mean, I like if I if I had my way, all the all the bourbons would
1: be cast strength, um, because that's pretty much what I drink. But unfortunately, not the whole world drinks like high <laughs> Um So this was my, this is kind of my way of making a bourbon that still made me happy because I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I put a, took a bourbon down 80 proof. But, uh, this is kind of like my homage to, uh, Evan Williams black label, which is 86 proof. Um, and so I just like, I like, you know, they make a really good bourbon that stands up well at 86 proof. And I wanted to make sure I could do the same thing. Um, so that was the reason behind this one. I, I was. I, originally, we wanted to take it to 92. Um, and then we proofed it down a little bit more. And I 86 I was like, all right, this is still really good. And I'm, I'm happy with this. And so uh, kind of everything I do, I, I kind of like, you know, I, I don't have one that's 101 right now. But I really, on my, one of my next bigger releases, it will be, a, there'll be a 101 proof bourbon in a homage to Wild Turkey. Just because I think, you know, there, there are certain proofs where you see it. And you immediately think of that certain bourbon. So, like, you know, I see 86, I think of Evan Williams. When I see 101, I think of Wild Turkey. So this is kind of my way of just, you know, a tip of the hat to those bigger distilleries that have been making this fantastic bourbon um, consistently great for decades.
0: In talking to craft distillers, everybody wants to stand out on their own and make their own mark in the world. I would say this is the first conversation we've had with the distiller where you're saying, hey, it's almost like a cover band who now tours, or I even look at it, even a well established band that'll cover another well established band song that you really want to pay, as you said, homage. You're paying homage to the history, those that paved the way for you, and really saying, hey, this is my spin on what you've produced. This is, thank you for giving me this in my life. I want to pay a tribute to you, and this is how I'm paying it back. Yeah. And that's your inspiration. Yeah. Now, you said the mash bill on this was corn, wheat, wheat, and malted malted barley. barley. Yep. There's no rye in this. No rye in this It is so, when I say so spicy, it is, to me, spicy without having any of that rye characteristic. Yeah. This nice pepper finish, there's a little bit of the clove and cinnamon note to it. And is that really just coming off the proof of the, the whiskey?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's coming off the proof of the whiskey and then also the oak in the barrel. Um, these are all done in these uh, barrels that we got from a now-defunct Cooperage in South Carolina. Um, but the barrels were actually really good. Um, I, I don't know why. I, I Actually, I do know why they didn't survive. But um, they're... I, they, they're Cooperage was really good, and the, and the flavors we were getting out of the barrels, I loved, and they were all very cinnamon forward, which was I, which I really liked. Um, and so I thought that you know those spicy baking spice notes and and cinnamon and and all that, I was all coming from that barrel, and um, I, I thought they were actually really great of, of doing that. Um, and I, I, were, I don't think it was intentional on their part, but it was sad when they, when they closed up. I was sad to see him go.
0: There's a point here where this becomes cream soda. Even to the texture in your mouth, it just lingers. Yeah. It's delicious. Thank you. Delicious. What's the next? Like, I don't want to start because then they'll be finished. But what's the next one? <laughs> so the
1: next one is our straight bourbon. So this is three years old, um, 100 proof. Uh, this is our four grain mash bill. So this is the 70, 10, 10, 10, 10, 70, 10, 10, 10. Um, so this one is going to be uh, more rye spice in this one because it's got that rye rye in there. Um, this one's going to have more cherry to it. Uh, it's going to have a more cinnamon kick to it because this one is going to ramp up everything because it's a little higher proof. But uh, this is the one I always drink the most of. This is the one I'm the most proud of. Um, because finally, when we finally put out a straight bourbon, it was like, Okay, I finally waited two years to do have this, um, and so now we finally. I fin- when I finally got to it, I was like, "Oh God, yes!" And then this is the one I, I, I make sure every time I'm bottling uh, that I'm really discerning every time I go through all the barrels to make sure that these two are going to blend well together. Because normally, when we're doing a batch of straight, um, it's usually just about two barrels. So I want to make sure that. Uh, These two barrels are going to go perfectly together as opposed to, you know, our our, our small batch, um, which is getting blended in with a whole bunch of other older barrels. So there's kind of more consistency of flavor. This one, every batch is going to be a little different um, because it's only two barrels going in together.
0: How has, you know, for the beginning of when you were distilling and laying down barrels, how have things changed in the process? Yeast choice or just even even grain selection or have you kind of tweaked some of the mash bills? So the mash bills,
1: I mean, our four grain mash bill has been the same since day one. Um, you know, we've upped the amount of grain we put to water, uh, you know, just so we have a better yield. Um, our yeast has changed multiple times. Uh, our yeast now comes from uh, Firm Solutions, which is uh, Wilderness Trails uh, sister company um, and they, we get two different yeast strains from them and the reason for that is is I, my favorite distillery outside of my own is Four Roses and Four Roses has two different, uh, two different mash bills and five different yeast strains essentially giving them ten different bourbons um, and I am completely envious of that because I think it's so cool that they can make ten different bourbons from just changing two things Every one of them is very unique and different. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I. Or so my idea behind that was I. I found that firm our firm solutions has different yeast strains, and uh, you know they can tell you the taste uh, the the tastes that come with those yeasts. Um, and so I, you know these are the ones that I want to make sure I pair with what I'm already getting out of the those uh, particular bourbons uh, to only kind of uh, compound those flavors. Uh, so that was my idea behind using them. Um, originally we started with another yeast that was what Kings County was using, um, and eventually, you know, phased that out and eventually moved into firm solutions who, um, who's doing just outstanding things with, uh, as far as enzymes, yeasts, all that stuff that, that you need to maximize yield and maximize poss- uh, the best flavors.
0: There was so much character in this bourbon. Really, for me, drinks like a seven-year-old bourbon. It really has that depth to it. There's the oakiness without being over oak. Mm -hmm. It's dry. You get that tannic finish to it. And then there's just so much of this fruity quality to this that just lingers and takes you through the whole sipping process. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I I don't want to, you know, we're like we're like, you know, cheerleaders for Ironclad, you know. <laughs> no, I like I said. No, I mean, it's the, it's the
1: one I drink the most of. Uh, it's the one i the I'm really proud of. Uh, finally, putting out older bourbon, and uh, so this is you know what i was what we always what i've always been looking forward to when we first started and we finally got there. And so it's you know there's there's little victories you know along the way of owning a distillery. So you know 2 year bourbon great we're finally putting out straight bourbon. Awesome. And then last year uh, was our first year we put out a bottle of bond 4 years. We made it to 4 years. We that's that's the next you know feather in your cap. And so i guess probably the next one after that is probably like 10 years. So got a while till we get there but Um, yeah, these little victories along the way, just to keep you going and thinking, okay, great. You know, putting out older stuff, this is tasting better. This is where, this is where we're going. This is where I want to be going. Um, so yeah, those little, little victories along the way is, is what, uh, really makes you keep wanting to coming to work and, and looking at the barrels and saying, you're you're getting there.
0: You're getting there because this is a business where you have to be patient, (laughs) Because you know in your head where you want to be. Yeah. But you, like we said, you, know, you change your yeast strains, you, 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 you work, you add more grain to the bill as, as the process as you go. And that's stuff you get to do now because you're older, more established. And you keep wanting to see what that next product – I mean that's to me. That's the exciting part about what you get to do. Yeah. Because it's like, all right, what's that next, what's that next step we can take? What's the like? I'm looking at that big third floor, and I'm wondering, you know, are there any wild yeast strains that can be harvested or in and around the area? Like we um, we met with uh, Royce Neely in Kentucky, and he's harvesting a lot of uh, he's doing a lot of wild ferments. Yeah, which he said, you know, which was a great fun thing. Which we he said he picked up from Dick Stoll at a Stolen Wolf. I know. But but look how that next like look how that works in the industry, right? Yeah. Now you're starting to say, all right, you've worked with this one uh, yeast company, but now how about you come up with your own proprietary yeast strain that you can impact your own bourbons with or whiskeys with?
1: Yeah. I mean, that would be incredible. Um, so, I mean, I I know a lot of people who are cultivating their own yeast strains and things like that. Uh, that is well beyond my uh, expertise or knowledge. Right um, now. Right now. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 definitely something I would always be very interested in because I... Think that it's a you know there's people out there who don't think yeast plays that much of a, a role in, in bourbon or, or fermentation. It's huge. I mean, it's definitely one of the biggest flavor flavoring ingredients that you have in your in your fermentation. So I think without a doubt, that's definitely um, something that you should always care about uh, when you're when you're making something because that's where a majority of your flavors coming from. All right, speaking of flavor. Okay, so next one. Uh, of course, we're a craft distillery, so we do a lot of finishes. Um, so, this is our blueberry mead finish bourbon. Um, this is the
0: one you just released. This yeah, so sold we, out in like three minutes or something, <laughs> I heard. So, it sold out in a day. Uh, you have people camping out in front, <laughs> I heard, in tents. This is like a, an iPhone release here. I wish,
1: I wish. But no, this is so I, this was 126 bottles. Uh, those were 375s. Uh, we did a 15 gallon barrel that we gave a uh, barrel to a local meadery, um, Silverhand up in Williamsburg. Um, And they made a blueberry mead and aged it in our used bourbon barrel. Um, And so, you know, they released the blueberry mead. It sold out in a week or something like that, which was, you know, they thought uh, very uh, successful for them. Um, Gave the barrel back to me, which uh, and we put our aged bourbon back in there and finished it for 10 months. Um, And so when I was filling this barrel, this one of my favorite smells uh, in the distilling process or, or in the bourbon making process is when you fill a barrel like there's no greater smell of the you know the, the white dog going into the charred oak and you smell that coming off uh it's just a fantastic smell that's uh, you know incredible uh, this one uh the amount of blueberry and honey that was coming out of the barrel while we were putting the age bourbon back in was absolutely intoxicating no pun intended um and so it this one when we came when we came out of the barrel um i was incredibly happy i, I wanted to be a little bit more blueberry forward, but there's still a nice fruitiness to it, and there's still that kind of fermenty honey in there um, that adds the sweetness to the bourbon, um, and so I thought that worked out really well.
0: I am so thankful that you saved a little taste of this. I'm so disappointed there's not more. So I guess my question is, is there another barrel going to be floating around somewhere of this? So the
1: mead maker... I think uh, there's probably a different term for that, uh, but the guy who makes it uh, has decided he got to try. I, he also wanted a bottle. He came in last week, didn't have any left for him. Um, <laughs> he didn't even yeah, get he any. didn't even get one. Uh, and so he said, "Let's do a full batch this time." So a full batch would be, um, it would be around seventy-five gallons, uh, and so we're gonna do a full batch next time. Uh, which I was just emailing him before you guys got here. Uh, just telling him, hey, just give me a heads up. I'll make sure I have the barrels ready. And we will rock and roll with this thing. So uh, I thought it was too good to not do again. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, I mean, it's going to be, unfortunately, like two
0: years away until we do it again. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is too good not to do all the time. Yeah. I You know, so I got blueberry pancake in the flavor profile... Mm-hmm. You get that little where you get the um, like the, the the sweetness of the bourbon, which you do get that essence of blueberry. So you mm-hmm. like blueberry pancake, and then it just goes into grain. And because of the mead, you're getting a lot of the minerality or the uh, herbaceousness of the honey that's going in there. Yeah, this is such a wonderful journey.
1: Yeah, no, I, I when I
0: when I got to taste it, I thought it was. This um, is a treat, and I really know you cool. put it on your social media. This is like one of a kind yeah. because nobody's ever done this. I don't think so, at least. It's you, know, you never know, but um, yeah, but this is why craft is so valuable and important because you know you, you, you you're starting to see these big producers now, you know, doing a spinoff yeah. of just trying to do these craft styles. But to more of a massive audience and they have the technology and the ability. But it's hard for them to sit sit around and wait for a little bit of that, you know, you're here in Naval Town, right? Yeah. You don't just turn a, a, a cra- an aircraft carrier around. <laughs> it's the same way you do like a little PT you know, PT boat, right? Yeah. You guys are you hey, wanna do blueberry mead one day? Let's do that. <laughs> you wanna do hot honey? Let's do that. Yeah, so I mean another thing I like to do is
1: I, I, I mean, how many times can you say you're the world's first? Um, and so you know, I, I know that there are others now, but uh, we were the first, I think, to ever do a hot honey finished bourbon. Um, and so the next one I have, it, it could come out this year, might come out next year, <laughs> but and it might not work. Um, but we did a barbecue sauce finished bourbon. Um, now, that is
0: from <laughs> – we just went there. So we were – Redwood. Redwood. So we <laughs> had dinner there last night nice. and we saw your barrels there. And I'm like, how serendipitous is, is this? This is awesome. We were supposed to be here. So yeah, there so. was barbecue sauce in those barrels. And now you're going to take that and you're going to add bourbon to that. Yeah.
1: So they, they aged their barbecue sauce in our used bourbon barrels for a year. Um, they took the barbecue sauce out. Um, and, uh, I, when I got the barrel back, I cleaned it out put the bourbon back in, um, and we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's out
0: there, but I can say, if I remember, there was a, a lot of cumin influence yes. on their barbecue sauce. And I'm just with what you're saying. Yeah. How that, I mean, I'd never thought of cumin and bourbon. Or or that tomato and bourbon yeah. or the acidity.
1: Uh, I think yeah the, the I mean I think the tomato which I mean they put ketchup in there so uh, the sweetness could pair well uh, the where the whole thing I mean my my idea is like it could just turn out to be like kind of be like a shrub cocktail uh, because of the vinegar in there um, so that's my
0: only reason that I think it could work. We will find out. We'll find out. <laughs> so, what's this next one I picked up while you were right. expl- explaining so next bourbon one, and barbecue? Yeah.
1: So, this next one is our old Colonel Bourbon. Our old, our, yeah, our old Colonel Bourbon. So, um, we found a farmer uh, that was on the Eastern Shore of Virginia who has bought that. Who bought this uh, this grain of corn or this corn um, from uh, this other farmer that? And they could they did a test on it and they grew, they realized that it had been growing in Virginia since 1865. So that was really cool in the fact that uh, that kind of coincides with our history, Battle 1862, which was the Battle of the Mon and the Merrimack. Um, and so this is different, uh, the third different mash bill you've had now. Our, yeah, third different mash bill you've had. Um, so this one is 78% corn, uh, 10% rye, and 10, or 12% malted barley. Um, I did this for the specific reason that I want you to taste the corn, but I don't want it to only be one noted corn. So that's why we brought the rye in for kind of balance. Um, the corn itself is super naturally sweet. Um, so, you know, I heard the story, uh, you, and you, you, with, with every story of whiskey, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, but when makers first started, um, they wanted to test their mash bill and to see how well it, you know, made it into cornbread. Um, And so the one mash bill they decided they liked was the one that had the wheat in it. Um, So this one we did is we, we made a mash bill with, or we made cornbread with just the corn and we made a cornbread with just the wheat or with corn and wheat. And then we made a mash bill with corn and rye. Uh, And the one we liked the best was the one with corn and rye. Um, And we wanted it to be that the corn was the main component of the thing you tasted the most of, but I didn't want it to just taste like you're drinking cornbread. Um, so this one's really cool we mash it it's kind of purple because it's got all these different uh, colored grains in it or different colored kernels Um, but uh, this one we kept at 100 proof this is almost three years old Uh, this was in 30 gallon barrels as well Uh, but this is the one I'm really excited about to see how time helps it um, because it's only going to keep getting better and better and I'm already really happy with it at what it's been now this doesn't drink like a hundred proof. Yeah,
0: at the sweetness all. of
1: the corn really, really makes it super mellow, um, and uh, I I think it's
0: so cool. You get such a burst of sweet flavor. I'm almost thinking like if this were a lollipop. Yeah, it, you 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 get that whole sugary corn, not corn syrup, but the corn essence of what you're putting in there, and then the rye. It doesn't spice it up as much as it. All of a sudden, it's almost like you drop off a ledge. And there's you're just left with the spiciness, and it's it's such a quick ride, yeah. But it's delicious. You talk about your barrels. and You talk about the um, you know different you know different barrels you're using. I get a I get a number. Is it a four char that's on all of these? So these are all char three. These are all
1: char three. Um, but this is the one we've experimented, experimented the most with. We haven't released any of them yet, but um, we've used multiple different barrels for this one. So. We have um, three or four barrels upstairs right now that are all the grooved barrels. So uh, 75% 75 of the barrel is Char 3. 25% of the barrel is toasted. Um, And then we've also got a Char 1 of this this going upstairs. Uh, And then... There's another one that we did up there, but I can't remember. I'd have to to look at the barrel. But yeah, so this is the one we're really experimenting to try multiple different things with it. Because it's such a different corn than what yellow field corn number two is. That it's going to be really fun to
0: try different things with it. I really Um, like how that barrel is just playing with that whiskey, that bourbon. It really, that's why I said it it almost has, you know, I want to say there's almost a Tennessee-esque... Whiskey out of that, yeah. It's
1: just the corn is so sweet that it gives it this really nice sweetness. And then, yeah, and yes, it is corn forward, which is, in my opinion, fine. Um, but it's not super. It's not just only corn. Um, so that's why I, that's why I thought it was going to be really cool. So I was really excited. That is good.
0: Your legs, my favorite. The, You know, you're like the freaking bourbon mad scientist right now. You
1: are. I I love what you're doing. I just, you're humble too, aren't you?
0: No, it's it's
1: just it's fun to. I mean, like one, we we got to meet this guy, uh, this farmer, and his name is Bill Savage, and um, he's just a he's a riot. Um, and so it's just really fun to meet these different farmers that are very passionate about their grains and that we can make bourbon out of. Um, that's the fun part.
0: All right, there's one glass left. And All
1: right, so this is a single-barrel, uh, five-year bottled and bond. Um, so this is the oldest bourbon we ever released. Uh, this was made on our 26-gallon stills. Um, obviously 100 proof because it's bottled and bond. Um, and so this one, a little bit more malt-forward than uh, what previous ones have been. Uh, and it's going to – so this – when I tasted this um, – it tasted it reminded me back of when we first tasted ironclad so it's like it tastes like what ironclad when we first started tasted like and so it's very reminiscent of that because it's made on the old stills made in the old style uh of the way we used to do it now we're now we're so much more efficient and ironclad has gotten I, i in my i think ironclad keeps getting better but this is this was like a walk down memory lane of being like Okay, this is I mean, not necessarily where we started, but it's coming like full a, circle. It tastes a more complex version of what we started with, um, which I thought was really cool. I mean, like, on top of that, you know, it's it's old bourbon. We we put out a five year bourbon, um, which was like great. It's finally,
0: we 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 got it. There's there's some nice, multi. One of the things I I just thought on. I know what you're doing, but. This almost leaves me wanting to say, are, "Are you going to do a single malt here? No, is it no. anything? It's because so this malt has forward. so much quality to that or characteristic to that. Yeah. But it still reminds you that it's not a single malt. That this is a bourbon. Yeah. This is a nice whiskey. That again, you just all these expressions. You get every bottle. You taste them through, and you just every one of them has a different experience. Yeah. And this is only five expressions out of the 35 you guys are doing now, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> what are some of those ideas, I mean, that, that you'd like to see or still that you haven't done? Or some of the things you haven't released that are, you know, almost there?
1: I don't think I've experimented enough with different barrel chars. Um, something we're actually going to start working on here uh, in the next couple of months um, of a couple of different barrel chars. Um, we've done a few. We've got. We've done toasted barrel finishes, which I really like. Um, I should have put that as part of the tastings. Uh, I, I should have added that in there. Um, but, yeah, the one thing I'd like to do, experiment more, is with different char, char levels. Um, as far as other things go, um, I mean, I have a port cask finish upstairs that's going to be maybe later this year or next year. Um, I did a double... I, I, I just laid down a double oak this this year, uh, both char three, uh, char three and then char three again. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I it's basically I drink all these things uh, of different people's bourbons, and then I come back and think, well, I'd like to try that, and and uh, you know, maybe maybe I can try my hand and see how I can do at it. So um, I you know I'm constantly trying to figure out something that no one else has done, but at the same point I also like to try my own
0: hand at so, what someone else has done. Um, so that's kind of my idea behind it. You mentioned national distribution, or you and Kara were talking about that. Are these bottles that now you can get nationally distributed, or so did you order them through your website? We
1: are very lucky. Um, we got with um, Big Thirst Marketing, um, which we can go through our website. We can ship to forty-one different states. Um, so uh, all, so the, obviously the um, the blue, blueberry mead is not available. The bottle and bond is not available, but everything else you tried, what is? Um, so you can go to our website and you can order that, and they'll ship right to your door if you're one of those 41 states. Uh, we are uh, distributed a little bit on the East Coast. We've got Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, uh, Maryland, Delaware, and DC, and then obviously Virginia. Um, so yeah, so we're we're happy. We're, you know, we're a small distillery, so we kind of have to pick and choose where we want to distribute and how much we can distribute, um, so that we don't overextend ourselves. And so you know, bourbon one of those weird industries that. You always want your supply to outweigh your demand Uh, because if your demand's always higher than your supply, you'll never put out old whiskey. Um, So so there's a very good there has to be a balance there to make sure you're controlling how much is going out and how much is staying in.
0: You know, you mentioned supply and demand, and I just I'm just curious for you how supply chain issues and things have affected what you're doing right now.
1: So we did have to change bottle shape for a little bit. during the uh, a couple years ago, uh, it wasn't horrible. Uh, we did have to buy a few pallets of, bo- of bottles, um, but uh, we've now rectified that. Uh, we put it. We have a full order of a year's worth of bottles. Um, that so we have a full order, a year's worth of bottles that is here in the in the in the, in the distillery. Um, so yeah, we will be good to go for quite a while. Um, and yeah, so I mean, but I mean, that's still. Uh, and then on top of that, we, we gave our full order for barrels, uh, at the beginning of the year. So make sure that we were, uh, good on that. So, um, yeah, there's supply chain issues. I, I'm constantly, you know, you never know what's going to pop up. Um, but for the most part, we got ahead of it at the right time and we've been
0: doing okay. You guys are really smart. <laughs> you, thanks. <laughs> no, I, mean, it, 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 I say that because look of what you're putting out. Of recognizing to keep putting out what you're putting out, you have to always be thinking what the next step is going to be. We were talking upstairs. You've already, you know, I think having whiskey clubs wanting to do single barrel releases and, and picking out their own barrels. Does that surprise you? Does that stuff like surprise you that people are now seeking you out and saying we want to purchase a whole barrel for ourselves? Well... And where do you see that in the industry? Because that's something that there's a conversation about. Do I want to open myself up just to start selling all these barrels? Because I want to make sure I have them for my overall consumers. Yeah.
1: So I, I, I really like it. Like I said, I, I, really love the bourbon industry. I, I, I by far my favorite spirit. Uh, every Friday when I get every Friday when I get home, you know, I, I play, I play music, I sip of some bourbon, and I'm just completely relaxed. Uh, so. I also have a whole a lot of friends that are, you know, I really like bourbon. And so we chat a lot about, you know, where we think the bourbon industry is going. And I think the very cool thing is, is that, yeah, there are a lot of single barrels out there available now. And the nice thing I find about single barrels is that, uh, you know, getting allocated bourbon is very hard now. Um, to find, you know, I can I can remind, remember five years ago, I was trying to find a bottle of uh, Virginia Distillery uh, bourbon. that uh, I was trying to find that on a shelf they didn't have it so i had to i had to just pick up a bottle of elmer t lee i was like oh, i didn't really want this but i'll get this instead so like now that would never be that would never happen um but these single barrels that that a lot of these groups or these lot of these liquor stores are picking uh give you a chance of getting a better bourbon than what these so a lot of these allocated bourbons are now there's a whole ca- there's a whole lot of caveats to that. The caveat number one being you don't know who picked that barrel so they might have a completely different flavor profile taste profile than you. Um, I mean if it is a distillers' pick that the, the distiller from the dis- from the distillery picked um, then you know okay you, you know that their flavor profile is mostly going to be on profile with what you get from the distillery um, so I think you'll I could be wrong about this, um, but I think that more and more people will be looking for single barrels because it's going to be a better, uh, not necessarily a better bourbon, but a more um, gettable bourbon uh, than what you could get for other in, in other things. Um, so as far as people reaching out to us and doing single barrels, that makes me very happy knowing that there is a demand for that. Um, because I really love single barrels. I mean, that's like, it's one of the, if I go into a liquor store and they have a single barrel, more likely that's what I'm walking away with because I know it's unique to them and that there's probably, you know, if it's a cast strength, there's 150, maybe 200 bottles of it. Uh, that's rarer than anything else you can find out there on the shelf right now. Um, so that's kind of where I think the bourbon industry is heading is you'll see more and more single barrels, which, which is, I think a good thing. Um, but uh, I think at the same point, I mean,
0: not every single barrel is a home run. Um, well, that's the key, right? I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned flavor profile. Just because, you know, you're a big fan of ironclad and you pick a single barrel, it doesn't mean it, it, it may be a little bit different. I mean, yeah, Not we, necessarily better or worse, but different.
1: Uh, I mean, we can, we can go full circle with this. And what I'm telling you in my experiment between the, the two barrels, the two sister barrels that are ones on the third floor, ones on the first floor. I anticipate those taste very different, even though they're made on the same day, same mash bill, same cooperage. Um, and so, you know, one person may love the barrel up on the third floor. One person may hate the barrel on the first floor. Um, so it, it's just, you know,
0: that's what I'm saying. And when, as this, this story becomes more mature where you're sort storing barrels. Yeah. Somebody's going to say to you, Owen, oh, was this for the third floor? <laughs> the second, because yeah. that was this. On the left side corner, or was this in the middle? How high was the stack? Because you're eventually you're going to have to start stacking them a little higher than what you have now. Yeah, that could be the whole maturation of you know picking barrels or identifying those single barrels. Yeah. How do people find you? <laughs> uh, so
1: we are pretty prevalent on uh, social media. We have an Instagram page, Ironclad, Bur- Iron- Ironclad Distillery, uh, Facebook, Ironclad Distillery. Uh, we have our website, IroncladDistillery.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are, those, those are the best places to find us um, of, you know, if you want to follow Ironclad, that's, that's uh, where we
0: post pretty much everything we do. You need to be following Ironclad. And if you are looking for amazing bourbon, you need to come here. And we need to come here more often because <laughs> this way we'll get in line with the rest of those people camping out. <laughs> Things you're creating, <laughs> that are just a, a sensational. I, I, I have to say. I, I've been looking forward to this ever since we set this up. This has been I'm grateful for your time. This has been a treat. This has exceeded my expectations. I, I forgot and I'm sorry I did. I forgot how amazing your bourbons and spirits are. Thank you. So very much. Th- no thank you for you know what you and Stephen, what Stephen and you and Kara are doing all the time and, and the staff here. This area in Virginia is blessed to have you guys here. And you're carrying on the history, the lineage of bourbon whiskey, and really allowing people to understand. That this is something that is a treat to be savored. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, Owen.